Guys, thanks for coming to our session about how to grow your church with audio and visual. Um, <laughs> so, hey, those are fun. Those are fun classes, too. Those are fun sessions. So my name's Andy Whaley. This is Kyle Dana. Um, I head up the marketing for uh, both AG Financial and Foundation Capital Resources. You can find our booths, like, on the far opposite side of the lobby. Kyle is our senior vice president at AG Financial for Retirement and Investments. So just to let you guys know, we will have a time of Q&A. We're starting late. We have a lot of information that we want to pass on to you guys. Uh, Just some insights, some tools that you can use both personally and even in church as it relates to finance. Um, So make sure you take, jot down your questions, you know, take notes. Um, We'll have time for Q&A at the end. And and even after Q&A, once the session is done, we're going to be hanging out. Some folks that are here with us will be hanging out. So if you want to talk. Um, uh, about more specific things later, we can do that too. So real fir- real quick, I want to first introduce Emily and Savannah, if you guys can raise your hands back there. So Emily and Savannah are with us from Springfield, Missouri, which is where we're from as well. So we're happy to have them. We'll all be around to uh, chat afterwards if you guys have any questions. So we've got a full, full house in this little room. I'm really glad you guys came. Um, it's Interesting. We could talk easily a whole session about personal finance. Kyle could talk an entire day, although I don't know if you guys would want to hear that. Um, <laughs> but we could also talk like a, a whole session on church finance or so much. But what we wanted to do is really just hit five concepts, five basic principles that are going to give you insight into how to create a foundation and even grow both your personal finances and also finances for church. Both are very important. But I will say this. How you treat your personal finances bleeds over to how you treat your church finances. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I go to um, you know a small to medium-sized church where it's all hands on deck. And absolutely, when you have pastoral leadership that treats their personal finances a certain way, yeah, absolutely that that you know kind of bleeds over to the church finance side. So we want to hit both. Uh, Kyle and I have an interesting perspective being with. Uh, these large financial groups that that just work with churches where we see a lot of what does work, what doesn't work, and we can see some correlations on certain behaviors and activities um, on the church finance side. And then Kyle uh, works a lot with individuals on the personal finance side. So we'll just kind of share some of the things that we've seen along the way. And if there are things that we can just, even if you just walk with one or two ideas for yourself or for your church, it'll be a success. So the, uh, the first concept of the five that we want to talk about is, is really the most simplest. It's just simply education and planning. And I know this seems like 101 stuff, but hang, hang, hang with us here. So when it comes to finance, there are so many moving parts. There's so many different layers. And, you know, I didn't graduate with a degree in finance. I mean, there's a lot of us didn't. And it's hard to understand really all the concepts you need to know. But it's easy to surround yourself with people who do. And so when it comes to education, there's a lot that Kyle's going to unpack here in a second. But um, there's some amazing uh, verses, two verses actually in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 15, 22, and then eleven fourteen. but both deal with the exact same thing. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. And so it's okay to get help. It's all right. 
Um, no one's perfect. No one, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of my buddies and it's funny, there's almost this, like this pride issue of like, oh, I'm invested in this or, oh, I know how to do that. That's great. You still don't know it all. Ask questions, get help. It's all good. Proverbs eleven fourteen. in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So you might have financial experts in your church. Maybe someone that's doing it better than you. It's all right. Surround yourself um, with those people. So Kyle, when you hear education, when you hear planning, what is so important about that as it relates to the world of personal finance? We'll start there. Yeah. So, um, thanks for the introduction, by the way, man, uh, I talked way too long. No, no, you did great. You did great. So I've been doing this for, I'm going on 17 years working with pastors and ministry employees all across the United States. And I'll, I'll tell you this, when I started out, I had these, um, optimistic aspirations, if you will, that, that, God gave me these skills and talents that I feel best with finance and money. And I thought the easiest group of people to talk to about that would be Christians. My logic for that was growing up in a Christian household was when it comes to money, we are always taught from the earliest of ages to tithe 10% and to live on 90 so if Christians are already at that detriment, how easy would it be to say, you know, save a little bit more on top of that tithe? And, and I quickly learned in doing this that that's not the case. I think it's probably the opposite. Um, and so for me, when Andy and I were discussing the topics, um, you know, if you, if you look at it like you're building a house, you have to have a strong foundation before you start getting into any of these other concepts. If you don't have the basics... You can build and you can keep expanding, but you will find cracks that will eventually tear the thing down. And education and planning is the the one thing that I see most frequently that most pastors just don't have. Now, it's exciting to talk to a group of church planters, people that are starting out new ministries, because if you can implement these practices, you have a much better chance of success down the road. So what do I mean with education planning? I think Andy said it best. This does not mean in any way that when you leave here, you have to all of a sudden become an expert in all things finance. It doesn't mean you need to get a subscription to the Wall Street Journal and watch CNBC every day and and pick stocks and all these different things. If anything else, because you have so many hats that you wear at your ministry, it means you need to be proactive in finding people in your networks, in your congregations that are experts in this. You need to plug into their wisdom to help you. Now, I'm going to speak very freely here, if that's okay. You also have to understand in the financial industry, there is a lot of salespeople. There are a lot of salespeople that will go to your church. There are a lot of great Christian salespeople. There are salespeople that get paid on commissions. Okay, You have to vet personally what is counsel and what is being sold to you because in the churches that I work with and on a frequent basis we see all the time in you know masked in the disguise of just wisdom is hey I've got a great product for you and oftentimes it's later on down the road that that product didn't turn out to be the best and here's the thing when you engage in the services of somebody with financials it needs to be somebody that you can fire because if I'm not doing a good job for you, at some point, now how hard is that when it's somebody who goes to your church who writes you a tithe check every week? Or a trustee. Right? <laughs> or a trustee of the board, right. Yeah. So you need to pick and choose. And so for me, if I was in that situation, I would welcome the council, but I would not engage in the services. If I were helping you in the financial in that, I wouldn't try to sell you anything. I'd say, let me look at your different options and I'll give you my personal opinion. 
So I think it's important. The, the one example that I think is really relevant right now, uh, for those that do watch this, the stock market, in case you haven't heard, is on fire. It has gone up for eight years. It apparently is unstoppable is what I hear. And it's at these points in times where I find more and more calls that I'm getting about people that are ready now to jump into the stock market. I've got people that are 70 years old that are now moving into the stock market after it's gone up eight years. Why? Because were they counseled to? No, they were sold to move into the market. So you need to be very careful about doing your own due diligence, finding a network of people that you can trust that won't try to sell you something, but more would just educate you. The other thing I tell pastors, I know you're not going to like this, but um, how many of you do your own tax returns? Not very many, right? How many of you do at least engage the services of tax professionals that are familiar with clergy taxes? Okay. If you're not doing that, be sure you do, because I will say that clergy pastors operate in a whole different realm of the tax code. And so you need to be sure that people that you're paying to do your taxes understand the uniqueness of that world. But I'll tell you that I think it's not something that you have to spend the time to figure out a a Form 1040 or a tax return. Okay. But even if you pay somebody to do it, you need to have a basic level understanding on a personal level of how your taxes are working. Because if you're unaware of all this stuff, it's very easy for stuff to be slipping out. If you're going to be a good manager, you have to account for every penny. You have to watch where it's going. And that also counts to taxes. That counts to how much taxes you're paying when maybe you shouldn't be paying that much in taxes. It has to do with Social Security tax. It has to do with housing allowance and all these different things that you deal with. So, again, it's not that you're going to study it, but if you're paying somebody to file it, what I would do is before they send it off, just have them sit down with you for 20, 30 minutes and just give you a very high-level walkthrough of how it works. Is there any things that you can do for the next year that would put you in a better financial situation than you were in the prior year? Simple questions that you can do. Again, these aren't the most exciting things to do, but they're important. I read something that said that if people would spend, on average, Americans, not necessarily Christians, but if people in America would spend just an hour a year on managing their finances, we'd have a whole different financial landscape than we do today. (laughs) An hour a year. I mean, you think about that. But then think about this. When Friday night comes, when the weekend comes, how many of you, the first thing on your list is to sit down with the spouse and talk about the household finances? How many of you, when you get out on a Monday morning after a Sunday church, are wanting to meet with your team and talk about the budgets? You know, it's just not something. You're wanting to do the outreach. You're wanting to grow the church. But you have to build that foundation and be sure it's in place, too. That's good, Kyle. Um, you know, I, I was thinking we probably should have rephrased this to be education, planning, and do something now or start <laughs> something because it's easy to learn and it's easy to seek advice. Um, but if you're like me, I may learn something about something that I, I think I probably should do, but I don't always like pull the trigger on it. Um, and so it's good to even start something, even if it's small. You know, start it now. And that's more of um, thinking about like maybe on the personal finance side. So retirement, we are not going to raise hands. But some of you probably have been investing in retirement for a while. And statistically, I know that there are some of you who don't have either a retirement plan at all or, you know, maybe adequate finances in your retirement plan. The idea is when you get inspired to do the right thing, even if it's small, start now and, and just start building that up. Um, so if we ever do this again, we should change the name of the first concept. <laughs> noted. <clears throat> Duly noted. Um, 
you know, on the uh, just from a quick educational standpoint, um, when you're looking at financial opportunities for your personal money or even your church's money, uh, so when it comes to investing or trying to figure out where to put it, and really, it even the, what I'm about to say even applies for if you're looking for financing, if you're needing a church loan to for a new campus or to get to that next place. Um, you need to look at more than just rate. So we, there's this phrase about chasing rate. Um, it's easy to only see one thing and say, oh, this investment is here, but then this investment is up here with this higher rate. Or, oh, I can get a loan for this amount, but man, this, uh, you know, whatever financial institution might be a half a percent lower. Um, while rate is important, um, there are a lot more things than just rate to look at when it comes to choosing um, what you do with your finances. Um, do you have anything you want to add? Well, to I that? just I would just tell you that rate is always correlated to risk. You, you can't separate those two. People will try to tell you that you can separate the two, but there's a relationship that exists between rate and risk. So if you see something that's of a higher rate, my immediate thinking is not that it's bad and not that you shouldn't be in it, but you do have to look under the hood and see what risk is associated with that that's, that's leading to that high of a rate. And also, mind you, that you know, there may be some of you in here that are risk takers when it comes to your finances. I'm a risk taker when it comes to uh, investing. Uh, there are people that are very conservative when it comes to that. Whatever your personality is, again, even though you're seeking the counsel of others, you do need to always revert back to what your personality allows for. Because if you don't do that, you will make big mistakes, meaning you'll buy when the market's high, you'll sell when the market's low because of the emotions that come to the fact that you didn't respond to your personality. Likewise, if you're ever making decisions at the ministry level, at the church level, with the church money, please keep in mind that the hat that you wear with your personal finances is a different hat than when you wear with the church finances. What I mean by that is if you're a risk taker with your own money, that's fine. But when you put on that church hat, that does not mean that all of a sudden you can take the church's money, which you're responsible for as a fiduciary, and risk it. So you do need to go through the proper channels of of doing it. I've seen everything from uh, multi-level marketing in churches, you know, with the congregants. Um, I had one recently with Bitcoin. You guys familiar with Bitcoin? Uh, Because it is really hot. So a church had an idea that why not take some of the church cash and buy Bitcoin, you know? I'm not here to say whether Bitcoin is a viable investment or not, but I sure would not be putting my church money in something that's speculative. So know what hat you're wearing when you're making those choices. That's good. There's a lot. We've seen a lot of stories of the pros and cons of that. Well, really, the cons of that. We're not going to go into it now, but yeah, it's that. That's a dangerous area. I want to get into just for the sake of time. I want to get rolling. The second of five concepts we want to share is one of my favorites. It's the eighty ten ten rule. You're nodding your head. Does anyone know what that might mean? All right, in, in the Green Bay hat in the back. Oh, Georgia baby. Georgia baby. Oh, sorry, I just saw a G. <laughs> Georgia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you, man, you're like the football man back there. So, what, eighty ten ten. What do you think that is? Ten percent tithing, ten percent savings, ten percent. All right. The old Larry Burkett principle. For those of you that remember Larry Burkett. Yeti baby. Yeah. Watching the football games. All right, good job. Is there money stuffed in those? Yeah, yeah, there's an 80 and a 10 and a 10. Um, there's an $80 bill in there. It's, it's legit. Um, okay, so that was awesome. That's it. Yeah, the 80-10-10 rule. 
the concept is basically you have 80 to spend, sure, and you have 10 that you save and 10 that you give. What's beautiful about this rule is that it absolutely applies for your individual finances and for church finances. And we want to share why and some of the things that we've seen when it comes to people and churches following that rule. So the 80-10-10 rule is actually something that Kyle and I both teach our respective kids. Um, With my two kids, you know, I did it as easy as mason jars, and I put the little labels on it, and it said spend, and then save, and then tithe for our church. And so on an individual concept, it's as easy as that. So that's the application, the breakdown of the percentages. We'll talk about maybe what it means for churches here, which is actually really interesting. We'll talk about that here in a second. But do you mind just kind of breaking down a little bit more of what that means for individuals? Yeah, yeah. the thing is that growing your wealth is not something that happens overnight. Um, it, it is a slow and steady. It's, it's something that takes patience. You know, believe it or not, how much we preach patience in the church, that also applies to your finances. Now, are there times where people start businesses and they start ventures that escalate rapidly? Absolutely. But statistically speaking, if you're going to get from point A to point B, you have to be patient and you have to be disciplined along the way. It's about hitting base hits. It's not always swinging for the fences. Um, you know, it's interesting to watch anymore with the uh, how much the lottery hits the uh, the news, right? So, so we can be open about this. I've heard people tell me that um, under a certain dollar threshold of the Powerball, if the Powerball is under a hundred million dollars, uh, as Christians, we should not be buying lottery tickets. Uh, however, when the Powerball jackpot crosses over a hundred million, it's irresponsible for us as Christians to not be buying because because what could we do with that money? I mean, obviously, God wants us to have that kind of money. And there was one like a year or two ago that crossed the billion mark, if you remember that. Um, and, you know, at that point, it was everybody was in the game because everybody's trying to get rich quick. Okay, The 80-10-10 is the complete opposite of that. It is a simple, disciplined approach. You get your paychecks on a personal note. You, you are already used to the discipline of giving and whether or not you tithe 10 or the concept of everything belongs to the Lord, you know, it's up to you, but you get the idea. But the, uh, the other side of that is to put another 10% away. Where you put the other 10%, there is a, uh, a rationale to it, but just for generality speaking, you just got to get the system now, okay? You've got the framework, but now you got to get the system in place. And the more automated you make that, the less choice you have. What happens is when the choice comes through your hands, most often you won't make the right choice. But if you eliminate the choice from your hand, you'll make much better choices. Now, it's not always the easiest thing to do because when it comes to our personal finances and our church finances, what's the one thing we want? Control. But you also have to look at your spending habits and those types of things. And so I always say get a system in place where that choice is a little bit removed from every day, every pay period, every month. So. That's great. Um, a, a couple points on the church side, and, and this does coincide with what Ark teaches as well, if you've planted or would be planting a church. Um, when it comes to the 80-10-10 rule, uh, I, I think there's a couple of points. One is, as a church, the church itself can tithe. And I know that some of you know this. Some of you maybe haven't thought about it. CJ, who is helping MC, we were talking earlier, you know, in their church, as a rule, will tithe 10%, and they'll give that away. Now, um, the church has also... They've been at a place where they've been able to give even more, which is beautiful. But churches that get a heart of giving, I've seen, do well. Um, there, when you when you allocate ten percent, whether you want to call it missions giving or it's you know outreach or whatever that might be, 
we've seen uh, churches, there's, there's been a, this is not official, but I've seen it personally. It's interesting to see churches that struggle financially, when you look at the financials, do not have a history of giving. I find that fascinating. This is just my observations. I'm not saying that there's a rule on this. Please don't quote me. But, uh, but then churches that historically have given 10% and have that heart of giving and are sowing those seeds um, often uh, tend to not struggle as much and, and even financially do well and then are at places like CJ's church and, and many others that I've talked to where they're able to give even more. And then they start setting these crazy give goals in their city and through missions. And it's amazing what God can do because it's that phrase, you can't outgive God. There's actually truth to that. It's, it's, it's kind of cool. The cliches actually work sometimes. Um, so with the 80 10 10 rule, uh, the idea is, is uh, again, that you have 10% that you're giving as a church, and then you have 10% that you're actually saving. And another way to kind of say this and to flip it just a little bit is also consider when you're doing the church budget process, try to, when you're looking at, um, and if you're a newer church, you know, you don't have as much to go with, and obviously the longer you've been around, the better, but look at years past, estimate what the giving will be, and then budget to 90% of that with the idea that you may, if everything goes well, have 10% left over that you can save. Now, we all know what um, there's external influences out there. So if the economy is doing this crazy roller coaster thing and we're experiencing things like we did in you know 2008, um, giving may go down. So it helps have a cushion, obviously. So when you budget for 90%, that helps. Um, but if you're able to set away money and to save some of that and to store it up, there's a lot of things that you can do with that. And your position financially as a church becomes much more powerful and you're able to do more. And Kyle, I was wondering if you could kind of talk about some of the concepts of maybe what they should do as they start to save some of that money and set yeah. that aside. And let me just say, too, that uh, when you're wearing the church hat and you are budgeting, there's a, di- there's a difference between budgeting conservatively but still having vision. Okay, so you can still have audacious goals and you can still, you know, we want to grow to this much by this year and we want to, you know, you can, you can cast that vision to your congregation, but that doesn't mean you have to run your budget that way. Your budget should be more conservative. Because the moment the budget gets in line with a big, hairy, audacious goal, if you've ever read the Good to Great books, um, then that's where you have no foundation here, and the budget's chasing in your spending, 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 and you can't catch up because you've set these goals. So I still say cast the visions, have lofty goals, get your teams and your congregations inspired by that, but budget conservatively. Now, once you start accumulating, so you guys have all heard uh, Dave Ramsey or basically any financial advisor would tell you that for from a personal and a church level, you should have three to six months worth of your expenses not your not your earnings but your expenses saved up okay so what you know it varies folks i don't know what the right answer is um i have twins at home that are eight years old one of them has more medical issues because of that i go more to the six to eight months worth of cash so i think it's you know it's nice to have a general rule of thumb but you have to look at your own unique situation if you're single no spouse no children then maybe you don't need six months worth of cash maybe you only need three months worth of cash if you have a family of eight maybe you need 12 months worth of cash Um, and then the same for the church it's so important uh, how many churches overlook the importance because again the mindset and keep in mind I I work with pastors all the time is 
whatever comes into that bank account is irresponsible to keep in the bank account. You need to get it back out into the community. You need to be reaching out. You need to do it. And I, and I agree, but you have to have a healthy reserve, too, because you know times are going to come. Uh, Hurricane Harvey mm-hmm. uh, and Irma are great examples of this. Uh, think of how hard hit a lot of the churches in South Texas were. So the moment uh, the month rolls around, which, by the way, Harvey hit at the end of the month, and their mortgage payments do, what can you do? Can you just say, hey, we're not going to make the payment? But if you have the reserves in place, then you're able, and pardon the analogy or the pun, but you can weather the storm, right? You have the ability to still make your payments and then rebuild and get yourself back in. So what you do with those cash reserves, where do you put them today? How much is your bank paying you for your church cash or your personal cash? Anybody? Two percent. Two? We need to see you afterwards. Yeah, because you got a great rate. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Point zero zero one. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's if you're getting two, that's amazing. Uh, And and keep it. (laughs) That's the best rate. So at my bank, I'm paying. I'm getting paid point zero one for for checking savings for liquid money. So again, personally and church, there are places that you can put your cash, keep it liquid. Not assume a lot of risk, but get better than bank returns. Now, I still think it's important in your communities to be banking locally. I think there's a way that you can build relationships through that. So I'm not saying it, you know, replace your bank, but work in conjunction with your bank. What you use day to day, week to week, month to month, you need to have close, you need to have ready accessible. But when you have that three months, that six months, that nine months worth of reserves, you need to put that someplace where you can get a little bit more interest out of it, but yet still get to it the moment something happens. There are lots of these investments, um, what they call um, church loan investments out there um, all over the country. I've seen dozens of them. We're one of them, but there's a lot of them out there. But I think those are great places. Again, though, just because it says church on it doesn't make it fail-proof. So you still have to do due diligence to look at the financials of how that church organization is running their money to assess does the risk warrant the additional return. But I think it's this uh, principle, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but uh, at the office I did this experiment uh, uh, a couple months ago where I got to the cafeteria early where all the coffee is, and I know right at 8 o'clock everybody comes to get the coffee. I put a quarter on the ground, and I sat back at a table, and I just watched as people would come in. A lot of people would look down and look up, just get their coffee, and then eventually, finally, one person picked it up, put it in their pocket, and was walking out. And I went and I said, Sam, I noticed you picked up the quarter, which he was quick to say, I'm sorry, was that yours? And I said, no, no, I was just curious, why'd you pick up the quarter? And his response was interesting. His response was this, because it's a quarter. Mm-hmm. Now, other people I asked, why didn't you pick up the quarter? Because it's just a quarter. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, again, personally and church, every quarter extra you make... Every dime, every dollar is more money either personally or in your church account for ministry. And if it's just a little bit of extra work to get that, it's a viable concept. I teach my eight-year-old son right now that wealthy people get wealthy because they work hard and they make an income. But while they're doing that, they put their money in something that's also making money. So that they keep working, this is making money. It's just an interesting concept. And that applies in the for-profit and the not-profit world. So person and church can also benefit from that as well. Just a quick example. My church, which is a non-denominational church, 
um, they invest. So they did a capital campaign. We're in the middle of a construction project. And after that capital campaign invested um, a lot of that money into AG Loan Fund, which is at AG Financial. And it's fascinating when you look at um, the bank whatever your bank rate might be or, or whatever wherever you might be investing it. And when you look at other investment opportunities where it's still liquid, even literally when it goes to 1%, 2%, things of that nature, it's amazing the, the kind of differences it can make. So definitely something to look into for what, what is right for you guys and for your church. Just moving along, the, uh, the third concept we want to share with you is capital is king. And you may have heard this phrase before, but it's all about capital. And Kyle's going to break that down and explain why. Yeah, it used to be cash is king for so long, and now it, it's more shifted to capital. And I think a lot of that's due to what we went through in 2008, 2009 with the Great Recession. Um, and you saw you know, the, the banking system. I'm sure a lot of you probably felt it in your churches uh, with people getting laid off. Um, but the concept changed from cash to capital. Simply put, and I, I don't want to get too technical with definitions, but... Um, Capital is the muscle, if you will, on the skeleton. So if we've got the foundation, capital is your muscle. The more capital you have, the stronger you are. The less capital you have, the weaker you are. Uh, And and to give you a a quick gauge, either, again, personally or on the church level, to know how much capital you have, here's all you do. You list out everything that you own, okay? Get uh, the value of everything you own, your bank accounts. Um, I'm not a huge fan of putting your cars on there uh, unless you're a collector of classic cars, but uh, your home, um, you know, everything you own on there, and then you subtract out everything that you owe. So if you have a mortgage on your house, you need to put what, subtract out what you owe. So what you own minus what you owe equals capital. That's it, it's that simple. Some people call it net worth. Some people call it, uh, I've heard it referred to as many different things. But essentially, how many of you, just in your mind, when you're thinking on a personal or at your church, if you were to do that quick formula, how many of it's going to be on the negative side? I mean, the statistics show just with student loan debt today that a lot of people coming out that are young uh, church planters, that you're already starting out in the negative just because of student loans alone let alone credit card debt and all the other things that we stack on that. And that's not a bad thing. It's more the reality of today. But then the question is, is once you know it, what are you going to do about it? So what's your plan to get from the negative back up to the positive? What tends to happen is everybody just sits in the negative and says, that's just, I can't. That's just too much. No matter what I do, I'll never get. And that attitude on the personal level comes back over onto the church level. We're so far in debt with our mortgage that no matter what we do, we're never going to get this thing paid off. And you see that leadership style is not conducive to growth, correct? So you have to get that plan. So I say at the very least, uh, at at least on an annual, I'm sure depending on uh, what stage your church is at, you're probably having to produce uh, cash flow statements and balance sheets and things like that. But you should be doing that on a personal level. At least once a year, you should be looking at your family balance sheet, what you own, what you owe, and then what's left over at the end, and be setting goals with that. In five years, I want this negative 10000 to be a positive 5000 or a positive 20000 Again, when you have goals, you're more likely to succeed if you plan. The church side of the equation is very simple. As you start to save, and as Kyle mentioned, you're saving maybe three, four, however many months of expenses. That's great. Do that. And then as you're able to keep going beyond that, you're starting to develop 
more capital. What happens when you do that is you get into this very strong financial position where you're able to take advantage of opportunities that otherwise you would not have been able to take advantage of. It could be land coming up for sale and it's you know and you know it's not going to be available long it could be you're expanding into a second campus or you want to do a large renovation project for your church and maybe you need to get financing and so you do need some kind of a church loan but when you have the extra cash on hand it shows to a lender you actually know what you're doing financially. You have cash reserves. It shows stability and strength, which a lender loves, right? Because for them, it's less risk. What happens then, you can still get the financing, get the money, but often you will get better terms or the, it will be a better lending product than maybe otherwise had you not had that capital saved up. So there's a variety of things that as you start to save up the money, it will be very helpful for future growth of the church. Does that everything making sense so far? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, go ahead. What's, what do you want? I don't know if we should save this for the end. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so I'm coming into uh, helping a church and uh, experience with finances and less experience. And the church is less experienced in handling the finances. And uh, all these concepts are great, but how do you kind of compare and contrast and weigh the benefits of, oh, I, like the pastor says, oh, I need to save for this you know, a couple months of, uh, you know, cash cons- uh, conservation. However, he's paying, like, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in credit card debt, and he's doing it every month, and he's maintaining a balance. So, like, how do you, and I'm like, no, 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 it's not, no, you're like, you got to get out of debt before you, you're, like, you're, you, you're drilling one hole in a boat while you're fetching out water on the other side. Right. So, you know, how do you kind of, compare and contrast those. I don't know if that's too well, it's, specific and nuanced for this particular conversation. It may be something we, we have to talk about afterwards, but it sounds like an intervention type of a right, situation, yeah, right? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, and it's always difficult when it's the pastor, too. <laughs> when you're having to approach the pastor and say, look, we gotta, you can't do that. Because a lot of times in those cases, they can't do wrong, right? They don't know what they're doing wrong, so therefore they can't do anything wrong. And who are you to... Listen, your personal finance is a very private issue. And people really take offense when you start, if you feel like you're trying to help them, but it feels like you're infringing on their privacy, right? So when you're getting into, Pastor, we got to help you with this credit card debt because this is not, this is a spiral out of control. A lot of times the defense goes in, which is that's none of your business and you don't need to concern yourself with what we're doing. But in reality, you do because they're the captain of the ship. And as Andy said earlier, what they're doing will eventually typically transpires back over on the church side. But maybe it's something... This is all on the, this is all the church. Yeah. It's all on the church. Okay. The church is paying the credit card. Yeah, the church is paying the credit card. Well, then that's where the board has to get involved, too. So uh, Let me go back to Proverbs yeah. 15.22. <laughs> no, it's kidding. <laughs> and that's the question. Yeah. That's, that's the benefits of... Sometimes you got the yes board, right? The, the people that sit in, whatever pastor says, just check the mark and go. And then you got the, the strategic board people that say, look... When my job comes up, I'm going to sit down and say, you, we can't do this anymore. You know, as a trustee of the church, I can't continue on in this role. So either I'm stepping off until this changes, or I'm willing to lend my hand if you're willing to accept it. So.
Yeah, it does really become a church board issue at that point. And, and you're going to want to discuss just simply what does a strong financial position mean. And it's great that you can save, but there are some priorities that come first. Um, before we get into more questions, because we do want to hear the questions, just two more quick concepts that I want to finish out. And that way, those who want to stay for Q&A, go for it. Those who want to go get a chocolate-covered cherry frozen coffee drink, go do it. <laughs> Cafe right over here. He's getting a commission on that. I do. I, I get a free one for everyone that you guys buy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. The fourth of five concepts is long-term perspective. Long-term perspective, obviously, versus short-term perspective. Um, and Kyle's going to kind of break out what this means for individuals. I'll kind of talk about some of the ramifications on the church side. Yeah. So basically, once you get your cash in place, pastors, please save for retirement. You're not in- invincible. There's going to come a time in your ministry where things are going to slow down. I know it's hard to grasp that, but you have to look at what I've been doing for 17 years. Uh, CJ said it the best. I mean, the average age that somebody in America starts saving for retirement, anybody guess what it is? It's 45. Now, let me just follow that up and ask you this. What would be the best age to start saving for retirement? Eight. Well, you get your first job, right? Yeah, now. (laughs) Now, again, we always hear the same thing, especially in the ministry world. You come right out of school, you got piles of debt. You're walking into a early ministry job, children's pastor, worship pastor, youth pastor. You're not making a lot of money. But that same reason and rationale also applies in the for-profit world. The same excuse is used. Not make enough money. And I've worked enough with people that as their incomes rise, do they save more? No. Their spending goes up. So it is imperative, I will tell you, if you look at the statistics, which I won't bore you with, about the average balance of a retirement for a pastor at 65, it is scary. If you want a sustainable ministry, it's not just about the time that you're in the preacher seat building and growing, but it's also how you leave it, right? When you get to that place where you know you do need to take a step aside and let the fresh new leadership come in. If you're doing that in a way that the new leadership coming in is inheriting a huge problem, you're not setting them up for success. You're setting them up for failure. So good financial preparedness also not only helps you have a nice you and your spouse to have a nice retirement but also leads your ministry in a better place yeah. financially Absolutely. so think about not I want you to think about next week and I want you to think about next month and your strategic initiatives your three to five year plan but I want you to think about when you're 65 and 70 personally I want you to think about what is that 30 year plan for the church when I know that I'm not going to want to do full time ministry anymore and I'm going to want to transition how do I want to leave my legacy personally and at the church in the ministry level? My father-in-law is a pastor. And about five years ago, I went to Kyle's office. Um, and I said, Kyle, I've got a problem that I need to talk through with you. I just found out my father-in-law doesn't have a retirement plan. And I'm freaking out because I, I, you know, I want to help him. I'm like, hey, let's, let's figure out what we can do for him. And Kyle said one of the worst things anyone's ever said to me in my life. He said, no, no, he, he has a retirement plan. It's you. Um, I will say that since then he has opened up a retirement plan he's doing some great things now but you do get to this place where and by the way that's actually not abnormal Um, you you get a lot of pastors in their 50s and all of a sudden they have this oh no moment where they realize normal retirement in your early mid 60s is coming up what do I do 
and you realize, hopefully they didn't opt out of Social Security, but then they realize, oh my gosh, I need to start thinking of you know, what to do now. Kyle, do you mind sharing, in your 17 years of working with ministers in retirement, can you just give like an average idea of, say, someone in their maybe 50s, what the average retirement balance might be for ministers? What might be or what it should be? Let's talk about and what you've seen, All what right. it actually is. So we did a, a study within our own, within the Assemblies of God, just looking at our pastors, right? But I also served on a board with several other church groups out there, and the statistics are pretty similar. So the average retirement balance for a minister at age 70 within the AG was about $52,000. So, I mean, just do the math real quick. If you just think they're going to get a Social Security check, but maybe they need 2000 a month additional to live on, right? So 24000 a year. How long is their money going to last? I mean, it, it is, and going back to what Andy said, although I was joking when I said it to him, but there is truth to it. It's statistically speaking in the country, we're in the, there's a sandwich generation is what it's called now. Think about your parents and how many of them don't have adequate resources. Think about what CJ shared. And that burden will fall on you to financially support them while you're trying to support your family. So there's a new sandwich generation that is really in a tough spot because you don't want to leave your parents out on the side in, in some you know, nursing facility or some Medicaid that they can't pay. You want to help if you can, but you also have responsibilities as well. Again, you got to think down the road the long term for that. I will say that I read an article a couple of, now I don't necessarily agree with this, but people always say, how much should I have? read an article um, a couple weeks ago when I was traveling. Fidelity did a study, um, and they said that uh, the an average 35-year-old today should have saved the equivalent of two years' worth of income. So if you're a pastor, you're making 30000 a year at, at 35 years old, it says that you should have $60,000 saved in your retirement account. Well, statistically, that's very unusual. But just as a benchmark, I don't know where they get the numbers, but that's what they said. So, um, On the church side, when it comes to long-term planning, long-term perspective, uh, the idea is simple. You guys get it. Don't just look at giving now, which a lot of churches fall into that, um, that routine of, oh, my gosh, we need this much money. Let, or, oh, we have this kind of a renovation plan. Let's ask for money here. Let's do this now. What can we give now? Oh, my gosh, it's a summer weekend. Everyone's at the lake. Tithing is down. You know, that kind of thing, um, which I'm sure none of you guys have to experience that. Um, so the idea is how can you look at what's needed now, but how can you look at long term? How can you create a plan to generate that kind of funding, what, what, what's the plan that you're looking at? And then communicate that with your team, uh, whether it's like, say, the church board or the staff. Um, also communicate the opportunity to your congregation of, of giving to the church, not just with tithe, but even creatively long-term by giving uh, non-cash assets even. So now we're kind of starting to get into a little bit, which I'm not going to, I'm just going to pretty much stop here, but we're getting into a little bit of like, say, wills, planned giving, estate planning, things of that nature. A lot of churches don't realize the potential of what's called planned giving. And that phrase simply means estate planning, um, if you guys have heard of charitable trusts or donor advised funds, things of that nature, a lot of churches have individuals with capacity to give now and in the future that they don't know because they've never communicated some of these basic things. Um, so again, you, there's people who have 
assets and they may be non-cash assets and they may have a heart to give to your church, but they don't know that that appreciated stock or that piece of land or whatever it might be can actually be given as a gift to the church. Uh, and then there's a ton of tax benefits for them. There's a, there's a huge story there. And if you have any questions on that, let me know. Just one quick story. I was... Um, there's a ministry that we've worked with and someone through planned giving um, set aside uh, through a, a product uh, with AG Financial to give to. It's called Latin America Child Care. And this group um, just happened to be in a situation where they were trying to figure out funding literally of how to make payroll that month. And at this one moment, the president of the organization and the staff was in this back room in the office, literally on their knees, crying out for God, we have to have this dollar amount. I get goosebumps when I tell the story. We, we have to have this dollar amount to make payroll and to stay open, right? And so one of our plan giving uh, consultants went in, not knowing the backstory tried to get in to talk to the president and finally was able to get into or to the director was able to get in and say hey just want to let you know we have this check for you someone really loves what you do they set up a plan giving opportunity through us and it was the exact dollar amount that they were asking god for that very moment um now i i I love god's stories i get goosebumps but um it's not always going to be exactly like that but you get the idea if you can look at giving opportunities down the road for the future financial growth of your church it's amazing the huge impact later down the road it'll have and when does a church not need money right so thank yourself late you know your your future self will thank you um, the last of five is a concept called controlled growth. And we'll, <laughs> there's a lot we could say, but we're, we're going to finish it up literally in the next three minutes. I want to make sure we have ample time for Q&A. And again, Kyle and I and uh, Emily and Savannah will be here later to answer questions. But Kyle, when it comes to controlled growth, can you quickly define what that means? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's extending yourself, overextending yourself. So again, um, church planners, you're excited. You've got a vision, you've got a location, you've got a community you want to reach out to. And when I talk to church planners, it's very uh, charismatic. It's inspiring. It, you know, we're gonna we're growing from 50, we're going to 75, we're going to 150, we're all the way up to 500. I mean, it, it is contagious when you hear those stories, uh, and I think those are great. And I want you to have those stories, but you also have to be sure. Again, going back to the budgeting and how you're spending the money, that you're controlling the growth from the financial aspect. Um, otherwise, what you'll do is you'll find yourself overextending yourself, right? And uh, we have the old uh, the old field of dreams mentality right if we build it they will come okay so i've got a great community i've got a perfect location now i need eight million dollars okay well we're bringing in ten thousand a month uh so but god told me this is it we need it we need eight million dollars because if we build it the community is going to come now does that mean that if you build it they won't come i don't know if they're going to come but I know that if they build it and they don't come, you got big problems. Right. So controlled growth. Build, let them come. Fill it up. Build, fill it up. So you need to be sure when it comes to this, uh, don't overextend yourself. Don't grow so fast. Different. I know the, the satellite campuses and the extending out is be very strategic. Do your due diligence. Look at everything, not just from the ministry lens, but from the financial lens, too, of how much can we afford. Look at the worst case scenarios. If we have three months where we can't pay, what is that going to do to our overall? Look at, you know, manage it from that perspective. And if you get the green light across the board, then take the step forward. But take steps forward, not gigantic leaps forward when it comes to the finances. Same 
same thing with your person, uh, personal. Um, we saw this before the 2008, 2009 with people overbuying on homes, and we're starting to see it again with the overbuying on homes because of the way interest rates are. You're, it's interesting how history repeats itself. But when you've got that uh, job and you've got that idea that I'm ready for that house and I want to buy, what people do is they easily say, I want to buy something within this range, and then easily goes up to this range, right? Well, we can still make the payment, but you're stretching yourself too thin. Maybe you can make the payment, but now you can't save any more in cash, and you're definitely not putting any more for retirement. So you need to have the controlled growth. The easiest way to explain it that's going to make all the ladies in here mad at me, <laughs> but uh, last week I was working with a young employee at our organization. He was coming to me. He's getting uh, married. He's getting engaged, and he had some questions about structuring his personal finances. And the big question for him was the engagement ring. He had picked out an engagement ring for his lucky lady, $3,500, but she was worth every dime. So my philosophy, if you think of it in terms of controlled growth, which you can imagine how my wife feels, go small, and you add on as you go, right? That's what we got anniversaries for, right? <laughs> Let's get that down to maybe the $1,000 range, and when we hit the five-year mark, we'll do an evaluation to see what we've added. <laughs> oh, my God. We're going to have a five-year hey, review. My wife's not here, so it's easy. <laughs> wow. Wow, if there's anything to quote and pull away from uh, today's session, it was that. Um, on, the, on, the, on the church side, do you guys know Rob Ketterling, or have you heard of him? Great guy. Um, pastor up in Minnesota. He's also on the ARC lead team. He and I have done a lot of um, financial breakout sessions together, actually, at ARC. He, he does something interesting when it comes on the controlled growth side. He will pay cash as, as the church when it comes to like um, the soft costs, you know, the furnitures, the fixtures, things like that. If everyone's saying, wow, this children's area is really old, we need to get all new furniture, let's get a new security system, whatever, fine. But they will raise the funds or use maybe capital or some of the cash reserves for that. However, when it comes to we're building a new campus or we're doing a massive renovation or there's structural hard costs, that's when they actually use financing. And we've had the pleasure of working with Rob Ketterling for many, uh, most of his uh, campuses actually uh, on that side. And they, and they structure the financing in a very healthy way. And that helps for the overall sustainable growth of the church. It's okay to use financing and have right structured debt when you do it the right way and you understand how to look at it in a healthy way. Um, there's a lot of uh, it, it's exciting when ministries are growing and I've been a part of it and you have these huge dreams and you feel like you need financing for every part of that dream but I would say while financing is not bad at all understand how to go about that in a smart way um, Emily who's here with us can you raise your hand one more time em? so Emily is here and she is a loan consultant that works only with churches across the country coast to coast and many times she's had to have conversations with pastors where she's had to help them have healthy views of of debt structure and so they may want you know five million for this new whatever but maybe the church can only afford three or three and a half and so she gets to work with them and says you know basically say we want to help you and we will but let's look at this in a healthy sustainable way for the church let i'll help you with some ideas or ways maybe to raise some of the funds internally so you can get to that million million and a half and then we can help you take care of say the three and a half and so she's actually great about helping pastors understand a healthy way to look at that but still to, to help with financing to uh, to make those visions and, and those dreams come true. So if you guys have any questions, 
um, after this, she's definitely the one I talk to. Um, and then also having things in place to help steady growth, uh, like a plan for risk management. Um, uh, insurance is not one of the funnest things to talk about, but when it comes to the world of risk management, um, uh, it was Church Executive Magazine last year did a poll of pastors around the country, and they said, what's the number one thing that keeps you up at night? And it has to do with risk management. And uh, when it comes to a risk management, it helps you not only protect the people of your church, but it also helps protect you against lawsuits. And as you know, and we've seen it many, many times, there's no good time for a lawsuit. And when a lawsuit happens, and if there's a financial hit on the church, it absolutely derails what's happening from a ministry standpoint in your community. And there are very simple things you can do from a risk management standpoint to guard against that. I will say this one quick plug, and this is just a free resource to you guys. Um, on AG Financial's website, which is just agfinancial.org, if you look under the insurance section, there's a slew of free risk management resources available. It talks about, like, say, the top 10 reasons that churches get sued and how to avoid that. Um, there's a guy named Dr. Richard Hammer, if any of you guys have heard of him. He's the leading authority on church law and tax. He works with us with all those resources. And uh, great ideas, great tips for you guys. If you're a lead pastor and you have an operations guy, great. If you don't want to deal with it, give, you the, give the URL to him or her and, and let them deal with it. But having some of those risk management places or those steps in place will help out um, dramatically. So we've talked about five concepts, education and planning, and I think starting or action. The 80-10-10 rule, capital is king, long-term perspective, controlled growth. Um, creating a strong financial foundation and then one that you can grow from isn't difficult. It just takes a little bit of time and planning on your part. And again, get some people around you that actually know this area, whether it's your trustees, your church board members, your friends, people in the church, and, uh, and start taking action, whether it's for yourself personally and then for your church. Find ways to, to put these things into place and to grow. Um, as we talked about, Kyle with AG Financial, and, and I help them as well, has a lot of these services available that we've talked about from retirement investments, lending, things of that nature. Emily, uh, with Foundation Capital Resources, uh, we're a longtime partner of ARC. We've been doing this for about almost five years with ARC and helping a lot of churches, um, many uh, that you've seen up on stage, when it comes to smart financing for church growth. So if you have any questions, let us know. But we hope today has been helpful for you guys. We'll be around. And uh, if you guys have any questions, we would love to field them. Yeah, you're quick on the draw. Let's let's go with you. So, um, the- 10% of savings, is there a breakdown within that? Is that just going into um, savings, you're not touching it? Is it retirement? Or if, if it is just something that's set aside, do you do the extra part as part of your spending? Congratulations on being the first one during the <laughs> <laughs> um, So my opinion on that is um, you got to keep these things simple. The more simple you make them, the more focused they are, the better chance of success. So if I got my 10% that I'm putting into savings, the first bucket I'm filling is my cash reserves. So I'm getting that all the way up to, you determine three to six months, whatever's appropriate. Once I've capped that that bucket, then I'm going to move that 10% into my retirement. Okay. Now some people in the middle there like to have that spill over into kids' college and all these different things, which I'm not an advocate of. And if you stop by the booth, I'll be happy to tell you about that. Um, but cash first, then retirement. Short term, then long term. Yep. What's up? Okay, so um, here's a problem that a lot of guys have. <laughs> you're here. You want to start a church or plant a church and you need money, right? What's the best way to engage high capacity givers and say, hey, here's my vision? And not be awkward and say, I need money. Will you give? What What is like the practical way of yeah. engaging people and increasing maybe overall giving for head? Because I think. 
for me, I'm like, we, right now we're just about to start. I'm going, yeah. We need more money. Sure. And I think it's the awkward like okay next art conference we're going to have a whole session on that because i get that question all the time yeah. so there's a couple things i want to say and then i'll whatever you want to jump in on okay everybody needs funds to finance and to help grow ministry it is what it is um you can't run solely on volunteers and whatever so uh a couple things one um the bible talks a ton about finance i so has anyone heard of barnard research group yeah. out of california okay so those guys are great love those guys david kinnaman's a buddy of mine and i asked uh david who's the president of barna to do a pastor poll for me to research how often do past oh do pastors talk about giving and if they do how often do they do it if they don't why and i have a whole report on that and if anyone's interested in that that's available online i can tell you where that report is in a little bit but the over basically overall there's a lot of pastors that do not talk about giving because they're uncomfortable about it or they don't feel like it's their place to do it or they feel that other people give too much i disagree with that approach um of those that do they typically talk about it two or three times a year the the vast majority of them the point is uh, there's a huge opportunity um, in teaching your congregants about the beauty of giving and the grace of being generous. A lot of times you'll hear like a culture of generosity. A lot of um, campaign uh, consultants, you know, will, will use that phrase, which is not bad. Um, Mark Batterson, if you guys have heard of him, yeah. is, is a as a buddy of mine and, and one that does business with us as well. And Mark. Um, often will do tithe challenge or giving challenges where he will say, if you've never give, do this. Now, I'm not at all recommending this, but what they will do is like a money back guarantee. And so what they said is we believe what the Bible says and we believe that God is going to meet you. He's going to address your needs and he's going to grow where you're at in life when you give generously. And so a lot of new, uh, new people who have not tithed before We'll start tithing. And the miracle stories are like too long to talk about. So there is there is something to be said about that teaching the culture. Rob Ketterling, again, uh, quoting him again, but he would say if he was here, always have your, um, your various tiered goals in mind of what you would do with a certain amount of money. So one time he learned the hard way. Of someone said, "Hey, Pastor, do you what, what what do you what do you need? Like, what's your biggest need?" And he's like, "Oh," and I, this wasn't it, but it's something like, "Oh, we need a new playground for the kids." I'm like, "Okay, how much is it?" And he's like, "Oh, it's going to be like two thousand. Okay. Now, what he didn't know is that they were ready for like a twenty five thousand dollar gift or a fifty thousand dollar gift, and so he always has in his mind what he would do with like a ten thousand dollar gift, a fifty thousand dollar gift, a hundred thousand dollar gift, which he's come into before. Um, and always have those ready to go because there are generous givers in your church looking for the opportunity. And if you do not help them with the opportunity, they will find it elsewhere. And that's truth. Yeah. Emily, did you have something? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say this is exactly what you said. Perfect. Can I just add to that, too? If you're, if you're talking to uh, donors, yeah. large donors, uh, stop asking for money. Tell them to make an investment. Okay. Because, okay? you know, especially if you're talking to business people. Yeah. It's not an investment they're going to get money back on, but they're going to get the kingdom return yeah. Absolutely. of the souls that you're winning, the community that you're reaching. So have the vision, but also depending on how young or old your church is, show them what you've done already. Right. Be, show them the accountability of how you've spent yeah. money in the past and what it's yielded in terms of souls and baptisms and community outreach. People buy into that. 
and don't be afraid to ask. You should never be afraid to ask. I mean, we're in the business in the nonprofit. You have to ask for support. So, yeah, what's up? Often running through collision. Yeah. Where the strategic plan for the vision of my church uh, doesn't necessarily line up with the priority of the money. Um, any resources for strategic planning that includes the financial aspect of it, so that the vision and the finances are kind of running in the same line. Because I got a hundred priorities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Does that make any sense right. to you? Right. Uh, as it relates to the vision, then I have another hundred as it relates to the finance. Right. I think I think you're in the bucket that like 99% of all churches fall into. Um, you want to hit that one? Well, I was going to say we've got some like the church finance uh, yeah. book and all these things that are free, free resources that I think they're uh, nice starting places. Um, I'd have to get a little bit more in depth. You're saying collision. I want to know which one's winning and seeing what it looks like. But I think if we talk, we might you be able to find something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for, for all of you guys getting ready to leave and walking out the door, let me just say this one URL that it's a free ebook it took us six months to write this and research it it's 80 pages it's amazing we should be charging a ton but we don't it's free if you just go to agfinancial.org forward slash ebook that's it agfinancial.org forward slash ebook you can download this free resource 80 pages it's got downloads of church budget templates it talks about why do a zero based uh, budget it talks about all kinds of things when you're structuring growth in the church what are some of the different financial ratios that you should be considering as you grow for your budget things like that a ton of great information specifically for churches as it relates to finance and it's totally free 80 pages of awesomeness and we'll be here today and tomorrow too yeah. so really quick what on a personal level what would be like a name of something that I could research more to learn about uh, retirement as for like a pastor his name is Kyle Dana no, no, he's no, sitting no, right no. next to me you're do it are you a do it yourselfer I yeah I, I used to work for a company and I had a 401k yeah. where they matched up to a certain percent mm-hmm. and I left that company and moved to New York City okay so my 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 salary cut in half yeah and my rent doubled yeah um, so uh, here we are but um, so I don't currently put anything into retirement yep. Um, but I'd like to know more about what I can do. So from a from a unbiased standpoint, the, the three things I would say would be, um, obviously Dave Ramsey's got a lot of great resources on retirement. Um, there's a lady by the name of Susie Orman, who's a, a prominent right. uh, financial lady out there. She, she has good materials, right. I think are good. And then um, Yahoo Finance okay. is a great resource. On their uh, page, if you scroll through, you see great articles all the time, every day on Social Security, on saving for retirement that are at a a level that most people can understand. Otherwise, you can always contact me. Just use me as a sounding board. I might not be able to help you with a retirement tool, but I can at least just, you can ask me questions and I can maybe point you in a direction or give you my personal opinion. So we're here as a resource. So whatever we can do to help you. So thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you.